Welcome to Spotlight by Play Craig. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! A podcast that shines some light on amazing people in the baseball world. Deja vu all over again, as uh, Yogi Berra would say. Introducing your host and the founder of Play Crate, Josh Ben. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Spotlight, a podcast where we shed some light on people in the baseball and softball community. This could be anyone from players, coaches, entrepreneurs, and anyone who has an interesting story that we can learn from. This is season three. We are focusing on just coaches. Uh, Today, we have Allison Pankowski and Tabor Klingelsmith. I think I nailed those names, by the way. Uh, Allison was the associate head coach of Lamar University and the director of Fast Pitch at Athletic Sports Group, which we're going to get into. She has over 12 years of D1 coaching and playing experience. Tabor is the baseball youth recording coordinator, recruiting coordinator. Uh, He also played at Crown College in Minnesota and is still coaching high school and doing private lessons as well. So I'm assuming just an awesome lifelong coach. Uh, Allison, Tabor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. So I'd love to, to just do like quick background. Allison, tell us how you got into softball and then eventually coaching. Um, and then Tabor, why don't you follow up right after that and do the same? Sure. Yeah. My, uh, my mom was an athlete, um, did a little bit of everything and I was the same way. Softball was kind of the thing that stuck for me and I like to do things I'm good at. So I stuck with softball because I happened to be good at it and was fortunate enough. I grew up in Maryland, which is not a tremendous hotbed for softball. My friends played lacrosse and field hockey, Um, but I was lucky enough to get a scholarship. I played division one softball, had a really interesting college career. My coach got fired in the middle of the season, my freshman year. Um, So it was, it was quite the mess. I ended up uh, transferring to a junior college in Florida for my sophomore season, graduated and then finished back at a D1 um, my last two years and then ended up staying there and did my graduate work, was a GA, coach, started my coaching career and then was really fortunate to be able to start a division one program at Lamar in Texas. So did that for a long time, had two babies, wanted a change of pace. And now here I am working at athletics. Great. Um, so, so for me, kind of like Allie, just more or less, this was something our whole family did. Everybody played baseball, everybody played softball um, until, of course, it ran into my nieces, but we'll get to that at a different point. Um, but so, yeah, basically just ended up at Crown College, uh, met my coach, Coach Mike Gometro, uh, and really, man, he just stirred me up. And so after my freshman year, I actually ended up coming home, and I knew that I wanted to be a coach. So I knew that was the route that I wanted to take. So I put myself in positions, coaching AAU teams, giving lessons, then I actually met a uh, coach Spug who was here with baseball youth elite. And then I got involved with coaching baseball youth elite and it's just been, that's all she wrote. I love it. And th- these kids are amazing and love giving back. Man, that's awesome. I do want to give some context into what athletic sports group is um, because people might not be familiar with athletics, but they're probably familiar with baseball youth. So either one of you, if you guys could jump on, just give us a quick, uh, you know, a little background about athletics and baseball youth and just like how, like there's so much that goes into athletics and so many amazing people that you guys work with that I've, I've got to know over the years. So if you could give us a little background on athletics and baseball youth and like everything that you guys do. 
I'll touch on it a little bit. Tabor is fortunate enough to just love on baseball youth and be able to focus all his attention on that. I am not in that boat. Um, yes, I'm the softball director. So I oversee our softball nationals, which is a week long um, team event. I also oversee softball youth, which is, you know, the mirror to baseball youth, but we have game day USA softball. That's um, out of the Chicago area. Then we have baseball nationals. And I have moved into a position where my title may say softball, but I pretty much oversee all of our brands out of the Louisville office, which would be um, both baseball and softball nationals, baseball youth and softball youth. We also have versus, which is your standard week long, or I'm sorry, weekend team events. And we have pastime sports, which is for your upper echelon recruitable age kids. They're out of Carmel, Indiana. So we do a lot of different things and have a lot of different companies under our umbrella, but Tabor's uh, lucky enough that he gets to devote himself completely to baseball youth. And he gives a lot of love to love to those boys. That's awesome. And, and baseball youth has so many, so many tournaments, so many players, I mean, Tabor, can you speak to just what baseball youth is just for a second, just so people kind of know what you're doing on a daily basis? Yeah, so baseball youth is pretty much where we have two events. We have our All-American Games, which is where we have uh, online nominations where, you know, kids submit uh, videos from across the country. So 50 states right now is where we're at with kids for All-American Games. And then what we do is we transition those kids from All-American Games when we take the best of the best, and then we put them and plug them into our baseball youth elite team, which is where we take those baseball players and go play in high level tournaments across the country. Awesome. Great. So it sounds like, you know, you guys, um, Tabor, you're, uh, you're on the recruiting end right now. And Allison, uh, I actually read a little article, um, from the, your, your old associate or your old head coach at Lamar from Bruder. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and she quoted, uh, saying, you know, you're a tremendous recruiter. And you're also excellent at practices and game situations. So I'd love to talk to both you guys about recruiting. So recruiting is kind of an, an unknown art form. It's like once you have great people, then maybe, you know, with a little bit of talent, then you can kind of mold them. Um, so, yeah, what do you guys look for in great recruits in terms of, uh, you know, personality and, and just kind of them as a person? And I think I want to take out one piece of this, make it a little harder. Um, I think everyone works really hard. And I know there's like outliers who are like crazy hard workers and like this person is just going to do whatever. But, um, you know, I think when you get to your level of coaching, you know, a girl's playing D one softball, um, you know, she's already a hard worker. That's already a given. She's already talented. That's already a given. So what are these other intangibles that make, um, someone a recruit that you just want to work with and, and mold as a coach? That's such a great question. Um, I think it's a little bit different, obviously, with um, what we do now in the youth space and what I've done previously at the college level. But you're right. Everybody's a winner and everybody shows up thinking they're going to be a winner. Right. So you have 20, 20 Division one softball players who all think they're really good and have been really, really good. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. So I think it's um, working really, really hard to find people that um can learn the best from your coaching style. I'm not for everyone. Coach Tabor isn't for everyone. And I think once, if you allow those athletes to really get to know who you are, it can answer the question for them. Not everybody learns the best from coaches like me. I'm super passionate. I'm super intense. I'm loud. Doesn't mean I'm yelling, <laughs> but those are things that um, I think uh, I wanted to, uh, an approach I took a lot was I really allowed them to get to know the real me. So that way, when they showed up on day one, it was no different than the same coach that recruited them the whole process. And then you have less transfers, you have less kids leave, and you have more trust with your athletes. And that's, that's when you can really get moving in the right direction. Yeah. Awesome. And I mean, that's all, that's all it is. Like I I've also, you know, I coached and I played indie ball for a little bit and like, I absolutely love, uh, love coaching. Even with plate crate, 
all the kids that I, that I used to coach, you know, while I was building play crate, I was doing, I was doing tons of lessons, obviously. Now they all work for play crate, which is like amazing. I so I get to keep in touch with them, but they're, it's like, I have a gang of little brothers is kind of what I say. Um, and it's always because I've treated them since they were 12, um, you know, like they were peers and not kind of looking down on them. So, you know, it seems like you're a really communicative, authentic coach, but would, would you add anything to your coaching style? If you could just go into what is your coaching style? And you, you obviously said you're authentic and you're building relationships first, but can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, and I think that, um, Tabor could probably give a lot of insight on this. He just actually got back from his first ever softball youth elite event. <laughs> so I would love to hear his insight on the differences between like coaching our BY elite brand and then coaching our SY yeah. elite brand. Um, but as far as actual coaching style, I'm incredibly tactical. So I think that I always surrounded myself with other coaches who did more of the motivating and did more of the, um, they worked so hard that the kids wanted to work as hard as they did type of thing. And I was much more a X's and O's um, T work defense. And I was a, I was a shortstop. I was a defensive player, sub 300 career hitter. So I love, love, love the infield and love, um, teaching the defensive side of things. So those were, those were kind of the focuses for me. Super cool. Yeah. Tabor, I mean, you got the mic. What, what was the difference between the, the fast pitch softball elite and, and BY baseball? Honestly, the, the biggest difference <laughs> and what I realized is the only difference is the fact of what we think. Like you think coaching a girl is different than coaching a boy. And really it's no different. I've literally walked in same style of coaching, high energy, high octane, just loud, loving on kids. And the girls responded, man, like they, they loved it. They really took a lot away from it. And so it was really cool and neat just because what I've seen is like with the girls, it's very, very much so easier to get them amped up, to get them to buy into the hype. Where with boys, you know how it is, man, 13-year-olds, 11-year-olds, they're too cool for school. They're just kind of <laughs> going by the, you know, wayward. But definitely coaching the girls this weekend made me realize that, like, their energy is just unmatched when they're ready to buy in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 when I used to do clinics, I, I was like, give me the girls groups over everyone. They're like yes. better listeners. They're like more organized, like everything when you're in that, like, like 10 to like 13 range. I'm like, the oh, girls yeah. are just like infinitely better at listening and are getting way more out of this than the guys who are like, all they're trying to do is hit the top of the cage. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I always love hearing the differences um, as kids start to develop and, uh, and grow up. But um, I'd love to talk about, you know, you know, uh, Allison, you said you were more of like a tactical coach um, and Bruder said you were great at, at practices and game situations. I'd love to hear you take us through, uh, a practice at, you know, a, a softball D1 level. Cause you know, a lot of people that listen to this, most of them are players, but they're also coaches. So I think if someone can take away one, um, one practice drill or one skill or a way that you're setting up practice so people can get the most out of it and the most impact from, you know, their time on the field. Um, I think that'd be great. So if you could just talk about what a typical practice looked like, um, that's that'd be great. such an awesome question. Yeah. I actually have several of my athletes who are now coaching in college. And I think the big feedback that they gave, we always, always typed out our practice plans to the minutes. And I think a lot of coaches show up and all right, today we're going to do this. So I think a lot of like pre-planning and making sure you're building on the days prior, um, is really, really important. Uh, I'm a big advocate of no standing around. Um, 
BP is for pregame, not for practice, in, in my opinion. So I really liked, loved circuit work. So I would, let's say I'd have groups of four on the field hitting front toss, a group of four taking like game-like shagging, like in their positions, fielding balls, a group potentially base running off of that and a group in the um, cages doing tees and, and rolling through circuits. So that way you can build on your, and of course the luckiest group was always the group that started in the tees, right? So you, yeah. you want to go from the tees, then you get onto the field and then you get to defense or base running and then you get to defense. So your, your flow of your circuit works beautifully, but someone's always got to start on the field. But I think that um, a lot of not a, not a lot of standing around and keeping the girls really, or boys really engaged is so, so, so important. You can stand around for three hours or we can work our butt off for two hours and get out of here and go eat some dinner and study. So I really liked circuit work. Um, and I really liked whatever game prepping, if you're in season, hyper-focusing on who you're playing at the end of that week and molding your practice to your competition. Awesome. What is like, and this is just me being like nosy. What's your like go-to drill, like your favorite. Cause I feel like I was a middle infielder. Yeah. I could just do, we used to call, we used to have four fungos. So yes. we, would, we would just do four fungos all day. I was like, I could take ground balls all day. It's like my meditative place, just taking yep. ground balls. I feel um, what, what's your favorite drill personally. And then also what's like the most bang for the buck drill. Um, let's do one hitting one fielding. So I really love doing anything with like baby gloves, like training gloves, like nine inches. And we fielded baseballs all the time, um, especially with those little, yeah. So I think it, I, the hops are different. It's the ball moves faster. So I really love doing full fungo with the baby gloves and also just like hands drills, like rolls, quick arm slot, throwing drills to different bases, everybody rolling through. Um, I think that is one of the best warm up drills and it just feels, it just feels good. Right. You work, it lets your it lets you work on your hands. Like that's how you tell a true infielder. Anyone can feel the live ground ball, but like when you're get, uh, able to get pretty and throw in off your back foot and doing all those things, that's when things really get, get wild. So I, that's probably my favorite infield drill. And it's a great warm up and gets your blood flowing and get the girls are chatting and it's fun. Um, the most bang for your buck drill. I mean, I love, love, love long tee. And seeing the trajectory of the ball when you hit is really important to me. So when you have a, girls lined up on tees that are hitting into a a net two feet away from them. There's a time and a place for that too, to roll through drills, but I love long tee. So literally full open field hitting, just hitting long tee in your different locations, working, maybe just extension, but Mm -hmm. seeing the trajectory of the ball and where they're landing is just so important to know what you're doing right and wrong. That I I think long tee is an exceptional drill. Like I, I remember in college, anytime I was in a slump, I would, I would kind of like fillet balls the other way. And long tee was just the only solution for me. Um, One, because no one wanted to go to the field at seven o'clock at night and throw me BP, but uh, you could always grab it, grab a tee and, and, uh, and and do long tee. I think that's, I think that's a really, really big bang for your buck. It's super self-correcting. You know, yeah. like it's immediate feedback. You see immediately what you're doing wrong. Even on the, even on great swings, you can see what was just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit off, you know? So I yeah. love that. And as far as um, like a defensive drill, man, I mean, just most bang for your buck. I got, I have so, 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 so many, but I really love, um, we would do a drill. We'd have full infield catchers included, and it, we call it the four ball drill. So there were four different balls flying across at any given time. So let's say the first ball would be pitcher to catcher to throw down to second at the same time. I'm hitting a ball to right field. That's throwing to third. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it required a ton of communication, a ton of focus, a ton of paying attention. Cause if you weren't doing those things, you would get hit, but it's so many reps. So we would do four ball drill, four different active balls, and then we'd switch. 
So everybody was moving, everybody was doing something, and it was a really, really great warm up drill for everybody to like get going. Friday mornings were pretty slow for our girls, so <laughs> that was a good drill to get them started. That's awesome, Saber. <laughs> how about you? What What are your two best bang for your buck drills? Uh, infield drill or defensive drill would definitely be the Dusty Baker short hops with the with the bat on the guys. I love that drill just okay. uh, because they get to see that hop off of the bat, and it's not something crazy. It's not taking four or five hops; it's literally one. Um, hitting, I'm definitely a soft toss kind of guy. I feel like soft toss teaches a lot. Uh, we work on getting out in front a lot. Um, the best bang for your buck drill. I'm, I'm with Allie. I'm a circuit kind of coach. I don't, I hate sitting around. So anything that is a circuit is going to be the best bang for your buck for me, just because like she said, it keeps everybody involved, but you're also working four or five different stages of the game at a time. So definitely anything that's a circuit drill is, to me, the best bang for your buck. Let's talk about, though, in the younger spaces, how how coaches do not make the athletes toss each other. And I think that is such a disservice because what happens is you end up getting to the 14 year old range when you're going to college camp and your partner sucks so bad at tossing that you look crappy. Teaching somebody to care about the way they toss to their teammate is a skill. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so, so important. So like, if I can get another thing across to like younger age coaches, like let them toss each other, whether it be front toss or like, you know, side toss, soft toss, whatever it is, like make those boys and girls get involved. It, it will make them appreciate when they're hitting and vice versa, you know, and it's good for, it's good for teammate morale too. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, it's just good for being good teammates. So yes. like I, uh, you know, when I had my, my hitting coach <laughs> in, in high school, uh, we would put the L screen on different sides so we could see the trajectory a little bit more. Um, and someone complained, they're like, I can't throw a toss with my left hand. And he's like, you're an, you're a middle infield athlete and you're telling me you can't throw a ball six feet. Right. And I was like, that's, I guess that's pretty true. So we actually learned how to throw BP lefty and righty, which I don't think was Maybe. that like great throwing BP lefty, but uh, it made, it made us kind of think that, you know, you're helping your teammate get better by being good at toss. And as I personally progressed, like through my career, what I noticed was, uh, if anyone ever asked me to do toss, which was a lot because I was good at, at flips because I took so much pride in good flips, people would ask me to give them, uh, flips after a game or if they want extra work. And what happened was I had so many great conversations because I, it was just us in the cage and then I got extra hitting. And then, and then we just had this, uh, I just got so much extra work and talking about hitting, being around hitting, um, yeah, being a good flipper, that is like a really, really underrated skill. Um, yeah, I mean, like that is really something I haven't thought about because I've just always, I just always got so annoyed when people couldn't flip. I'm like, you're doing it. You're doing a bad job. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't throw short hops when you yeah. can't throw short hops to your teammates. Like that is, that, oh, that is, that grinds my, I'm saying I laid into, <laughs> I laid into I some 12 year olds in Florida. Dude, when I see these kids throwing short hops and it's like the biggest hop in the world, I'm like, what are we learning today, boys? Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing I would, if we're on the, the subject of kind of like little pet peeves or something that uh, people can get, can get better with, I think coaches actually too, um, if you don't have enough time between sets, like I think learning oh, yes. takes yes. a little bit longer than three second setup between sets and just getting hacks, like hack after hack. I was a dry swing monster. Like I could take all dry swings all day, but if I do, you know, 500 swings incorrectly, I'm, I'm just going down the, the wrong path. So, um, yeah. that was another thing I think I learned from watching great players, softball players, baseball players, the best players took 
the the least amount of swings. Yes. But they took they always took the best swings. And I mean quantity over quantity. Hear that. But I mean, yeah. I mean, is there anything else like that that you see consistently on a coaching level where you're like this this is such an easy um, way to get your players better, but coaches just kind of blow over it. So yes, self, self feeding in the cage, like Mm -hmm. self feeding, long tossing yourself in the cage and being able to hit fungo. So unbelievable for back control. Like I take the note from Patty Gasso at Oklahoma. If you don't know her, you should, Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the best coaches in any sport across man or woman. Um, but all of her girls hit their own fungo and it's, it, it's so good for self-awareness on your own swing and the the ability to um, hit in certain locations with runners on. And so another drill, like very much like um, long T is long self feed, whether it's down the full length of the cage, like driving it to the top middle of the cage or hitting it on an open field. Some of my best hitters were the worst at it and they got so frustrated, but by the end of end of the fall season and working it, they loved it and they realized how good it was for them. Awesome. Yeah. Coach Taves, you got anything? Um, for me, I'm just going with the coach tapes, by the way, instead of tape. I don't know if that's cool with you. (laughs) No, it sticks, man. It sticks. (laughs) Um, my, my biggest pet peeve and and what I would tell coaches is for, for me, if you're going to be positive, whenever a kid makes, you know, something that you don't want them to do, if you're going to be excited that they made that play happen, my biggest thing is you have to be able to love them through the mistake and then coach them up through the mistake, make sure they know how to fix it. Because I just see a lot of things like, for instance, I had a kid, uh, we were playing a team and kids stole home. They were super pumped, super excited. They couldn't believe it. Well, then they tried it again and got out. And I seen this coach lay into them. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, and I think everybody knows, especially you, Allie, you played some college ball, Josh. Like, If you're willing to be happy about them, again, making the play, you have to understand that the mistake is going to happen a second time. Like, they're not going to be perfect every time. So coaching them and loving them through mistakes because this is a game of failure, that's what I would challenge baseball coaches to is just, hey, love them through the failures, make sure they get it. And, you know, like I said, just <laughs> they're kids. They're going to make mistakes, man. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And it's like that person's mindset, they already know they messed up. They yeah. didn't want to mess up. Like I would say if there's something they could have done uh, – you know, positionally better or tactically better or something that you could, you could physically correct. Um, that's one thing, but just kind of laying into them arbitrarily for making a mistake. I just see no value in that. And I've seen that coach after coach throughout my career. And, uh, and you just get, you get really scared to do the wrong thing. Um, and in this sport, you can't play that way. Yeah. And I mean, I think it, it kind of goes back to like, when you don't, I don't, if you're a coach and you haven't played long enough or you haven't coached long enough, um, and you just haven't seen that much, baseball, I guess, um, that's the only thing you have to fall back on is kind of, you know, if things go wrong, get angry, because if you don't know how to fix it, uh, appropriately, then what else are you going to do? But, but yell, um, cause that's your way of fixing things. So, um, I mean, if you could take us through even more, like take us through one of your conversations with your kids, kid boots, a ground ball at shortstop, um, you know, big game. And then he boots another one. Cause you honestly, like, I think there's a crazy correlation between making, uh, one error making two errors in the game, there would be like streaks where I, I you know, me, so this, Allison, anybody, you make no errors for 15 games, then all of a sudden yeah. you, you boot two balls a game for three games in a row. And you're like, or three to yeah. go down in the <laughs> You're like, I'm breaking my, I can't feel the ground ball anymore. I mean, how do you, how do you approach that with, uh, with one of your kids? 
So actually this just happened to me in Florida. We had a girl, she's playing a phenomenal shortstop, like play phenomenal. And then we're playing actually another SY team and she boots two. And you're just like, what in the world is going on? So I'm, I'm looking at my, the, the person coaching me, I'm like, do not say a freaking word. Don't say anything to her. Let her figure it out. Like we're not moving her. So she comes in. And the first thing I was like, you know what you did? Yes. All right. Well, do you trust that you know what you did? And then she kind of gave me that, like, uh, I'm like, if you don't know, like, let's talk about it so we can fi fix it. And she was like, well, what did you see? I said, well, I seen that you didn't have a prep step and you let the ball get inside of you. Like you didn't field it out front. She was like, okay, that would make sense. Like I thought I had my hands. I was like, no, you didn't have your butt down. You didn't. And I just feel like taught like the, my kids, especially, I want them to be able to talk to me. Like, what did you feel? Because what you felt may not be what I seen or what I seen may not be what you felt. So like just having that relationship with them that they can be open, they can be honest and they can trust that like, oh, okay, I did make a mistake, but hey, he's going to correct the issue. So it don't happen again. And she just yeah. gone from that, never made another error the rest of the, the rest of the weekend. And you're like, all right, I can take two hairs, you know, for one conversation. Like that's not yeah. in a long lesson too. I mean, as a coach, you're teaching honestly like self-correction. So, yep. you know, if you get on a field and you do poorly, but you don't know how to self-correct, that's kind of where your coach comes in because they'll, they'll tell you how to, how to correct yourself. So the next time you don't have to, so as you move up in your career um, you know, they, they don't have that talk anymore because they had a great coach like you when they were younger that taught them how to deal with, with booting a couple balls and how to identify the problems and, and move past it. Yeah. Um, I would like to kind of transition into uh, kind of data in baseball and softball. Mm -hmm. So uh, last like five to 10 years, like, baseball, softball, everything's exploded with data, right? We're like overloaded with data. We have so much data. Crazy. We're translating it into analytics. Um, it's being used so differently. And I think um, you know, like the games have both changed. Like everything's changed because the data is right in front of you. You can't really argue with it. How it's used is a totally different story. So I'd love to hear uh, the difference with softball because I don't think I've actually taught. I've asked this question to a lot of baseball coaches and we talk about driveline and we talk about uh, exit velo and launch angle and and just looking at, at these these data charts that we've never had before but what do you think that impacts had with data on softball and how is that data being used uh you know in a positive light and in a negative light yeah i mean everything you just mentioned is the exact same on the softball side cool. um if i see a, a 12 year old kid now without a blast sensor on the end of the <laughs> It's, it's nuts. And it's a, such a beautiful tool. Um, yeah. but I feel like, especially in the lesson space, we're really, really getting to a point of abusing it because the, the problem is we see these numbers and frankly, there are numbers that I don't know how mm. to, what to do with them. Um, and if we don't, if the athlete doesn't under, if the coach doesn't understand them, you bet the athlete and the parent doesn't understand them. So I think there's a real gap in the education between what we're seeing and what numbers are being spit out to us and what we actually do with those numbers. Mm. Um, and I am not an incredibly numbers driven. I, um, I, all the, te all the tech stuff is really amazing, but not something that I ever really grabbed hold on the way that I probably could have. Um, but really I, I just, I feel like when you get, especially to, um, the college space, so much of it is they're good already, you mm -hmm. know, and so much of it is making them feel like they're really good and being able to capitalize on those things. So I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful tool. Um, but I think there's a huge gap in the education process that we're going to start to see really bad habits because of these launch angles and exit velos. And I don't care if you can hit 85 exit velo off of a tee, that's still 
Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, yeah, you're strong. That's great. You're strong. You can probably bench more than me, but what does that actually mean when it comes to hitting real pitching, you know? So that's kind of my take, but it's in the, looks like softball is going the same direction as baseball on all of those fronts. Yeah. I agree with you, Allie, though. Like even in the baseball space, we rely way too heavily on launch angle and exit velo and this and that. Like I, and want I love to- home runs. So let's oh. not act like we don't love it. Yeah, oh, I, I love it, but I definitely think there's <laughs> different approaches to getting to that point than just understanding the numbers. Like I need a kid that gets on base. I could care less if you're yes. batting 298. Like, gosh, he's freaking launch angles and stuff. They wear me. <laughs> I just saw a really great tweet. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, go for it. Um, I saw a really great tweet about how we look at batting average and RBIs as the pinnacle statistics, which, Mm -hmm. and how that is so skewed and how we should be looking at uh, on-base percentage and potentially stolen bases. And just so many, there's so many other, there's so many ways to score a run right? Let's not get completely caught up in one way to do that. And that's bad. That's what bad teams do. They can, they either hit home runs or they don't score runs or they either get their speedy kids on or they can't score runs. So the best teams out there have a little mix of all of these beautiful things. So why are we not focusing on balance? You know? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more with your balance comment. I mean, that I I think in terms of data, my personal opinion is it's a tool in the toolkit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it might help you fix one problem, but if you, again, if you're, if you're doing a hundred off the tee and you still swing over changeups, <laughs> work on hitting changeups like 80 miles an hour over the shortstop's head or something. You know what I mean? Uh, Cause it doesn't matter how hard you hit the ball. I think, I think there's a time and a place for it. And I mean, I, I love it because you, you can do whatever you want with it. I just think that, people use it as an end goal. Um, when the end goal is to win baseball games, it's not to have a hundred mile an hour velo. So, um, and then the other point is, is just how you communicate it. So what do you do with a hundred mile an hour velo? How does that translate into you becoming a better baseball player for your team? Cause the point is to win. If your team wins, you're going <laughs> to get more at bats. You're going to do better. You're going to have fun. People don't really talk about that anymore. Um, but the best seasons I've ever had, I had the most fun because we, we clicked as a team. We helped each other. Um, winning is fun. Winning's winning. Fun. I mean, that's the point of the game. That's, that's the integrity of the game that people lose sight on. I think honestly, now it's getting more younger. Um, when you get to the major league level, they just want to win a world series. Like that's it. They just want to win a world series. He doesn't, they don't care if they hit uh three ten or two ninety eight if they have a ring on their finger at the end of the year. Um, and I think that's lost, um, you know, in a lot of youth organizations, uh, because they're prioritizing, how do I get to the next level? How do I get, uh, the ne- the next metric to tell people or to tell recruiters and coaches, um, you know, that I have this exit below or, or, or I have a certain statistic, but, uh, I think you're right on the money with balance. Uh, I think baseball, softball is a game. It's a puzzle and you're trying to figure out the best balance between your whole team, um, on the defense side and on the offense side. To, to get more wins and to win a championship. I think that gets lost and that's, that's the integrity of, of baseball and softball. But do you guys have anything to, to add on to that? I think I would just implore parents to educate themselves, find, find people that you're spending all this money on the tech, you're spending all this money on the lessons, find somebody that can really take these numbers and translate it to your athlete and what that means. You know, we have some really exciting stuff coming for BY this, uh, this summer at we, cause we do take metrics at our events and yeah. um, we have a really interesting, exciting, not completely done yet, but things that we want to, we want to educate 
the kids on those numbers. Um, mm -hmm. So I think we're going to come up with a really good process on how to do that. But for all of you that are doing this on your own, just find ways to take those numbers and make them into something because otherwise they're just numbers on a screen, you know, and it doesn't mean anything. So if you're going to use tech, if you're going to use it, use it to the full ability, you know, all the way through. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so exciting in no matter what, because we just have so much data that people are going to start putting it together. And I think we're going to see baseball and softball just explode to a level we've never seen before, which honestly we've seen this year with no hitters in baseball. I yes. mean, Pitchers are throwing harder. People are hitting more home runs. People, baseball is like, is really fun to watch. Uh, but I always thought it was fun to watch. So like, who am I to say that? Well, wait till you uh, see college softball super regional starting tonight. Talk about exciting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love watching softball because there's just so much energy. Yeah. Like there's so much energy base. I mean, watching college sports in general, there's just like a different camaraderie. No it's doubt. like, it's so like, uh, like genuine and authentic. And you're just seeing people in their like, primal uh baseball and softball states uh, i just love watching uh college baseball and softball especially like um isn't it this saturday oklahoma and washington play for the first time like on abc yep that's right really really big deal it's awesome espn obviously i've always covered it but yeah this will be the first um really mainstream network that is running a running a super regional game. It's super. That exciting. is so cool. Yeah. It's going to be a good one too, man. I tell you what, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I have a couple more questions and then we can wrap it up. Um, you know, feel I, sometimes I call them rapid fire. They're not rapid fire at all. They end up just being normal questions. <laughs> um, in regards to coaching specifically, what's one thing that you've changed your mind on in the past year? Hmm. Um, I know for me, it's going to be the appropriate age to throw a curveball for baseball. Good one. Um, just because I was on a podcast actually with a guy that we have in our company, Rick Golf, and he actually told me a story about this pro guy who was like, all right, hey, you know, we're going to show your, you know, 11-year-old kids how to throw a curveball. And he's like, no, absolutely not, which that's, of course, the way that I tend to lean toward. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, you know, this major league guy had to, to show that he knew what he was talking about. So he said, hey, kids, who can throw a curveball? And he said all 12 hands went up. Even his son was like, hey, I can throw a curveball. And it was like, all right, well, who taught you? And he was like, oh, well, you know, my little, my next door neighbor. And then the other one was, you know, yeah, hey, my older brother. And so he, you know, basically, long story short, guy goes into, if we don't teach these kids at the appropriate age, you know, to throw it the correct way, to not hurt their arms, somebody is going to throw, show them the wrong way, mm -hmm. and they're going to end up hurting themselves in the long run. So that's definitely something I've changed my stance on. That's a big one. And I mean, it makes so much sense if they're going to do it, which they're going to, like, they want to throw sliders. They want to throw curveballs. They want, I mean, I guess change-ups aren't really that sexy, but I, I love change-ups. Oh, I love change-ups. <laughs> change yeah. I mean, we're saying that as coaches, but when you're like nine, you're like, I want the best circle change in the game. Yeah. You're like, you want like, you want the best curveball in the game, but man, yeah. that's a really great point. Um, and, a you know, a cool thing to implement with your kids too, and, and make sure that parents are on board. And obviously like now that, you know, kids are, are throwing a curveball, you can teach them, you know, the safety behind it. So they don't get hurt. So, and the cool great. thing is you don't, yeah. you don't have to have them throw it in a game, but I mean, at least showing them the right way to throw it, like it, it does, it changes the whole thing. Yeah. Allison, how about you? What's, what's something you've changed your mind on in the past year in regards to coaching? I think the biggest thing is, especially in the youth uh, upper youth spaces. So like 14 and under on um, just how much these kids need to be educated on overall professionalism and marketing. Um, social media has been 
such a tremendous impact mainly due to COVID, but also just due to the times of, of recruiting. And these young women and men are getting out there and creating these profiles that are being seen by people that have the potential to take their career to the next level. And they just don't understand the scope mm. of what their choice is. So I think that the thing that I've seen the biggest over this past year, like I said, mainly due to COVID is just the, the lack of education on an, on an all encompassing professionalism front for these kids that are entering the recruiting ages and how these mistakes now can really, really, really impact you for many, many, many years to come. Yeah. And I mean, not just for sports. I mean, when you're, when you're going to get jobs, when you're, yeah. you know, when you're just being a normal human, um, you know, our, everyone's lives are so wide open and, and you make one mistake that, that could carry over for, you know, a, a TikTok you made. Um, yep. I, I really sound like in with it, right? Like that. Yeah. TikTok when you said TikTok. <laughs> Which I have a bunch of TikToks. Follow us on TikTok at Playgrade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, next question is what advice would you give your 16 year old self um, in regards to your sport. So, so just specifically to get better at baseball or softball. So Allison softball and fitness, take my fitness more, take my fitness more seriously. I trained, I trained, I was, I was the hard worker. I loved softball. I hit, I did that thing, but I did not, I was small and I was just always small. And mm-hmm. I thought that would, that was just good enough. Um, but yeah, take spending the time devoted to my fitness to, one for injury prevention and two for overall ability that would have definitely changed who I was as an athlete when I got to college. Yeah. Huge. So I'm actually going to piggyback off of her because I was the complete opposite, but I was, you know, I was the big kid. I was the six, three, 200 pound catcher. So, but again, like I never took strength seriously. I never took the weight room seriously. You know, I got out there, I took my hacks, I got out there, I did my drills but I never took weightlifting seriously. And honestly, it changed my complete game whenever I got to be a freshman in college and I'm weightlifting every day. I just seen, I mean, I'm talking 40 or 50 feet on a ball mm-hmm. yep. or just for hitting the weight room. So, yeah, I mean, it's an amplifier, right? If you're yeah. like people, uh, I mean, not to, not to just like talk about steroids, but I watched the, um, the documentary about, uh, Alex Rodriguez the other day, crazy oh, yeah. documentary. Um, but like the whole time, like your Barry Bonds, your your A Rod, it's an amplifier. These people are incredible at what they do. They cheated, but uh, you know what they, they were they incredible did, before. They were incredible before. It's right. just amplification. You can do that obviously naturally in the correct way and learn how to do that, and it adds to your sport and your craft. Like softball is a craft, baseball is a craft. It's it's your art form. It's 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 what you're doing. There's so many different components, and the people who last the longest, um, uh, are the are the people who are healthy. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, I think, you know, what, what got me started on my, uh, me playing any ball, someone pulled their hammy, uh, someone pulled their hamstring. I was, I was available. I flew down for a, a 10 week contract or a 10 day contract and, and they kept me cause I did well. And I was like, that kid pulled his hammy and that started everything for me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would probably say the same thing if I were you guys too. I just, I, it's I, a I was still, yeah. It's a long-term life skill. You have to live. There's this, there's this big social media thing going around right now. There's a girl in a bikini. I can't remember what her name is, but it's about, um, to, to all the former athletes and mm-hmm. like learning how to love your post-athlete body and all this stuff. But those are the, the fitness aspect, the nutrition aspect, those are life skills that stay with you. So yeah. if you're not doing them when you're in high school, it only gets harder. I promise after two babies, <laughs> when you're 35, <laughs> it does, it does. Um, all right. Last question. Uh, this is the billboard question. Uh, I'm going to do it 
I'm going to ask it specific to coaching again. So if you had a billboard that could reach, you know, millions of athletes, um, it could be softball, softball and baseball, all athletes, you know, and you had a, a small message, non-commercial, um, to put on that billboard, to get the message out, what would your message be? Be a good human. Great. Why? Yeah. <clears throat> being a, being a teammate, you're a teammate first, right? I mean, you could get hurt, you could get injured, you could, your coaches could leave, all of these things could happen. And if you're a good human, that means you work hard. That means you're a great teammate. That means all the things that just, everything else falls into place when you just shut your mouth, keep your head down and be a good person. I love it. Yeah. Coach Tabor, how about you? Uh, Mine would just be, I mean, sort of along the same lines, but you know, love and positivity wins. Mm-hmm. got to love everybody through it and you got to stay positive because this sport's for failure. Yeah. I think those are two great answers. I think everyone should walk away from this podcast with the, the absolute minimum walking away with love and positivity and, uh, and the goal to aspire to just being a good human, which you should do if you're not an athlete as well. But uh, you know, I think it's, it's kind of uh, that selfish altruism where if I'm great and I'm a good, good person and a great teammate, I'm going to make everyone else better. And then they're yeah. going to make you better as well. Cause they feel compelled to do that. So I think that's the best advice um, that you could give, but guys, thank you so much for coming on. That was, that was really great. I think no matter who you are, if you're a player, if you're a coach, if you're uh, you know, a recruiter, anything, you're going to get something out of this. Um, the mics yours. If you guys want to talk about uh, BY, if you want to talk about athletics, if you want to talk about anything, uh, give plugs to the channels, go for it. Um, but I mean, just thank you guys for being on. This was a ton of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Tabor, you want to just give a little bit of insight on maybe what we have going on this summer for BY? Uh, yeah. So this summer we actually have uh, all American games in five different locations. Uh, July 25th to the 28th, we have Reno Tahoe, which is in Nevada. Uh, July 29th, August 1st, we have Kentucky, which is in E-Town, Kentucky. Uh, the next one I believe is Ocean City in Texas, which will be held August 5th to the 8th. And then our last one will wrap up in Myrtle Beach, August 12th to the 15th. Uh, definitely go give us a, a look on baseballyouth.com and you can nominate your player today and we'd love to have all of you all out. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Spotlight by Play Cray. And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, take care.